0: Gay SA Radio, where you are family. In this series, we listen to the discussions that were held during the South African LGBTI Business Summit, setting an LGBTI Economic Empowerment Agenda. The summit was held at the Equinox Center at the ABSA Capital in Santon in Johannesburg on Tuesday, the 11th of September, 2018. The purpose of this inaugural South African LGBTI Business Summit is to position LGBTI economic muscle in the business sphere by making a strong business case for the economic inclusion of LGBTI people and, by doing that, open up new business and other economic empowerment opportunities for LGBTI people. Discussions during the summit will demonstrate how this can be done, identify opportunities to make it happen and craft strategies to overcome obstacles. In session four, the topic is The Ethical Case. Do diversity and inclusion initiatives adequately empower LGBTI suppliers and employees? The session explored the extent to which LGBTI workplace and supply chain inclusion have been embedded in the transformation agendas of big companies, where the main obstacles are to achieve full integration and what should be done to advance greater inclusion.
1: Um, We're now going to look at companies, we had a good example of how Accenture actually works when it comes to a framework to support LGBTI uh, workers and employees. So what happens when you have companies like Accenture, Shell for instance, Uber, uh, EY, who have these great programs that seem to be all glossy on the surface, surface and at the headquarters of these companies? But when it filters down to, I think uh, Neville made a good example when we chatted about this. What about the petrol attendants? How are we getting this message down to them? What about the Uber drivers? Um, How do we let them know that we have these programs at headquarters that it actually filters down to the petrol station where a service manager and a petrol service manager uh, takes it into account that he needs to consider the rights and, uh, you know, of uh, LGBTI member staff? How do they protect them from, um, you know, these homophobes who might come into a petrol station and attack a service attendant? So that discussion is going to be led by Luke Andrews from the South African LGBT Management Forum. Uh, Luke, come through. Hi. Hi. Okay, thank
2: you. <laughs> okay, so, is this okay. yeah. Cool, so I actually got, I'm going to be joined by a panel <coughs> to, to assess the ethical case for LGBT inclusion in for uh, employees and, um, and for uh, s- uh, suppliers. A little intro, so thanks for the intro. Um, my name's Luke Andrews, I'm a founding director of the LGBT Management Forum. Um, uh, part of the work I'm doing in the forum is actually on the SAS and Workplace Quality Index. I hope a lot of you have actually had the opportunity to see, see some of the press coverage about what we're doing. We're going to be launching some of those results tonight, and I hope as many of you can join us as possible. But I don't want to take the limelight. You're probably going to hear me speak a lot tonight if you are coming through. And I'm also acutely aware that what's standing between you guys at lunch is me and how efficiently I run this panel. So right, without further ado, I want to bring on the following uh, colleagues. Tandi Masuku uh, from IBM Business uh, Business Group, um, Dulcie Rambachar, I was practising it so much just now. Apologies, Marie <laughs> Carque. <laughs> <laughs> Run out a little bit later. It was so good uh, half an hour ago. And I've to get this one wrong as well. Fra- Fabrice Huard. Okay, okay. we go. Marie There we go. Okay, so I think I have to use it here. So, what we've been asked to talk about is the um, is the question around do diversity and inclusion initiatives adequately um, uh, empower LGBTI suppliers and employees. So maybe it'd be worth just a very, very brief intro each one of you, just to give context to, to your perspective and, and uh, to introduce yourself to, to the audience. Tandy do get
3: Hi everyone, um, my name is Tandi. Um, I work for APN South Africa, been working there for 13 years, and I've been involved in their LGBT uh, plus initiatives for, for the past 13 years or so.
4: Hi everyone, uh, my name is Tasi Kumakwe. Uh, I'm a CEO of uh, Accessible Quality Health Services which aims to address issues of quality to, to healthcare services. So we run uh, the UK medical centers, uh, currently have three in Gauteng and one in Bumalanga, and we also do um, occupational health and, and wellness services uh, for corporates. Hi,
5: my name is Fabrice Souda. I work for the High Commissioner on on Human Rights at the United Nations. And I co-wrote the Standards of Conduct for Business on LGBTI Issues that I think you have a a copy of, at least of the summary, uh, as a pamphlet. There is is a longer document, but nobody has ever read it.
2: Okay, so um, the, the theme. There's a lot of very uh, recurring themes which you're going to hear throughout the day. So I want to be very, very focused on this whole concept of ethics, the ethical mandate of companies to be LGBT inclusive. And I'm quite well known for being a little bit provocative, so I'm going to start with a slightly provocative comment. Employees and suppliers <laughs> enter into a very relationship Okay, so you're very free market about it. There is a transactional relationship. Uh, he was paid for a salary uh, to the supplier. Okay. So I want to actually start off with quite a big picture question. Are companies actually ever need to be ethical towards their employees or to their su- suppliers when we all enter into these relationships as a transactional relationship? Actually, initially it's a and then we can pass it. Um, well, that's a great question, uh, but you know, it's a question that
5: applies to other human rights. We could say the same thing about uh, child labour, right? That companies are entering an agreement with those children, and those children are being paid, and therefore, what is the problem, right? And the problem is that we have we have minimal standards called uh, the human rights. As a civilization, we came together. I can't remember the exact date, but I think it was 1948. We came together and we decided. That we created standards for ourselves. And those are human rights. Um, so, my, my office, uh, the United Nations, since 2000, has been very clear that the private sector has obligation when it comes to human rights. Not only governments, but the private sector too. And it said so in a document in 2000 uh, called the Global Compact. And then in 2011, we produced another document called The United Nations Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. That was a little more specific about what were those responsibilities of the private sector when it comes to human rights. And, uh, and the reason why you know, I translated the guiding principle on the specific issue of LGBTI rights is that when I talk to business, a lot of business, and I would say actually most of the business in the world, you know, understand that they have responsibilities when it comes to child labor or when it comes to human trafficking. But when it comes to uh, equality based on sexual orientation or gender identity, they always feel that it's something that is about being nice or it's about corporate culture or it's about the, the cultural environment in which they evolve. But the truth is that there is no difference. The important thing about human rights is that they are universal and indivisible. And therefore, you cannot say, well, you know, I stand for that specific human right, but that human right, I don't care much about. And um, therefore, the businesses have uh, responsibilities. And, um, and you made an excellent point, which is that we use the word should a lot uh, in, in the document. And the reason is we're trying to appeal to the business. And you know, it's difficult to attract bees with honey. I can't remember the exact expression, but you get it. Uh, But but the point is that, um, that the four first principles we outline are responsibilities of the private sector. They cannot escape it. They have to respect and promote the human rights of their employees. And then the fifth standard, which is acting in the public sphere, It is not a question of responsibility, it's a question of opportunity. We believe that the private sector has a gigantic opportunity to contribute to social change, and it should grab that opportunity. But the first four standards are about human rights, responsibility,
2: and the private sector has no choice. It has to fulfill these responsibilities. more. And also you work in, a, in the health space, so yeah. do you believe that actually this whole idea of an ethical responsibility is separate from being able to make money and produce, produce a kind of viable product and make a viable business?
4: Yeah, because, you know, like a myopic view would, would, would obviously be transactional, but mm. uh, in a country like South Africa where you have like only about 17% of people covered by medical aid, Meaning you have an, a population of 83% that either has to access health services out of pocket, you know, or, or go to the public healthcare system. And then we all know of the attitudes, you know, of, of the providers in the public space. You know, so as much as we started off by just being about access, you know, because of affordability, we saw that the biggest barrier to accessing healthcare is provider attitudes. You know, so we had to be really careful about what type of doctors do we select to work in in our centers, you know, admin staff and everyone, you know, because as LGBTI people ourselves, you know, we have had to to, to access health healthcare services before and we know what type of attitudes we've had to deal with. You know, so we, we, we like now as a company saying we are taking that responsibility. To, to be different, you know, to, like for people to access our services and feel loved and respected in accessing those services.
3: Uh, yes, um, uh, f- from the um, corporate point of view, uh, I would say definitely yes. Um, and not only yes, but uh, the companies have a responsibility to bring in their business partners and their suppliers as well, up to speed with what they're doing. So if one company is is all good and doing well uh, in the HBC space and having all those programs and initiatives, they must bring in also, uh, educate their business partners, educate their clients and educate their suppliers as well. Everyone must know what they're about and the more they do that, then the more um, um, uh, companies we can reach and the more people we can reach
2: as well. Um, no, I've got one, please. Okay. It's my second one already. Um, so um, I want to bring it into the local context. So we all know we talk a lot about transformation in, in South Africa for, for obvious reasons. Um, and sometimes we forget that our LGBT people were also kind of regarded as marginalized people through acts like the Immorality Act and other such legislation. But the whole, even though in the Employment Equity Act, it talks about um, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, we, we, it's never is always thought of as a sub-issue or a side issue. Why is that, and do you think it needs to take a more, more central role when we talk about transformation? Do we need to be talking about it in a more broader sense, and why? And I want to maybe direct it specifically to my South African colleagues, that <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay,
3: so my observation, especially working for a multinational mm. uh, uh, company has been, um, they are doing very well. Uh, Head in the, at the headquarters US, I mean, we see a lot of activity there. Uh, but when you bring it down to South Africa specifically, uh, nothing much is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got these diversity groups in the US doing this in, the, in, in Europe. Uh, but in South Africa, not, none of that. And it's not only just from IBM side. Uh, I've, I've spoken to colleagues from other multinational companies as well. They are struggling with the same thing. Yeah when a simple email uh, to employees uh, uh, celebrating Pride Month gets a lot of uh, pushback. But I think mainly it's the, the executives in South African companies. They, it's all about BEE, EE programs. And what I've also been fighting for is uh, in the EE, the EE employment uh, e- equity um, um, programs in the workplace. They don't include uh, LGBTI uh, representatives, Mm. there's no representation for for LGBTI. That's the first problem. Mm. Uh, It's race, it's women, uh, (coughs) even Indian, male, female, uh, people with disabilities, but no LGBTI representation. Uh, I think that's a a huge barrier, first of all. Uh, If we fix that and have that representation, that person that can stand up for, for LGBT employees, and also be able to challenge the uh, the executives within the company
2: to make the changes that need to be made. And I'd like to just draw on some of the results from the the index, actually, is we asked the question around to what extent is LGBT included in your employment equity forums? And it's almost like an equal 50-50 split actually, and there's those companies that see it as, uh, see Employment equity in, in the EE forums as very much a compliance box-ticking exercise, and so there are numbers in which you have to report on, particularly around race, gender and such like. But actually, if you read the full Act, chapter two it talks explicitly about sexual orientation and other aspects of identity, and those other companies have regarded the, the EE forums as a, as, a, as a change agent for the act in its entirety, not in terms of compliance. And I think what you see is those companies are doing it for compliance because they have to do the box ticking. And those companies are really taking the core message of what it stands for about changing inequalities and removing barriers in the workplace. So that's a really interesting observation from my perspective, and I think it's a really important thing. We have this amazing vehicle in South Africa to be able to drive change, and its, it's already mandated. Companies aren't necessarily making the most opportunity. When we're talking about removing barriers, we're talking about removing barriers across all different aspects of identity. What is your perspective? Do you, um, does, do you think that actually the whole narrative around transformation should be more narrow, or does it actually need to be broader around... around Removing structural barriers and addressing all all its I think it, it definitely
4: needs to be broader. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I can only speak for small business. I can right. only speak for, for healthcare providers. You know, so I, I have like in different forums suggested that some of these teachings should go to medical schools. You know, because like now you have people who are responsible for the health and well being, you know, of of communities, uh, like not open minded enough, you know, to consider you know, uh, 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 some of, of the issues uh, that the LGBTI, for instance, uh, encounter. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. We do a lot of work in the trans healthcare space, you know, but and because of, of the resistance and, and the attitudes of, 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 of the, the healthcare providers, we see people from as far as Lesotho, you know, uh, Bloomfield and Zimbabwe coming to Johannesburg to access these services, you know, because no, no one along... Along their travel to to, the, to this part of the
2: world, you know, that uh, provides those services. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to just kind of bring it back to the ethical case. I mean, what does good look like? So, 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 what if we imagine a world where where events like these are really successful and they fulfil what we're achieving? What does good look like for us? What does what does inclusion look like? It's, it's quite a nice word to have, um, but can we really pin our, pin our finger on on what it actually means? Uh,
5: Yeah, well, that's a very good question. You know, so there's more than 180 companies that have expressed support for the standards of conduct that we wrote, and those are the largest companies in the world. And uh, we didn't ask them to sign the standard, to sign on it. We asked them to express support. And the reason is that we believe almost no company can fulfill all five standards in all markets in which it operates. And the reason is because they face very difficult environment. I mean, um, as much as there is some kind of a consensus that we are starting to reach in most parts of the world on gender equality and racial equality uh, in, the, in the private sector, you know, we are very far from reaching any consensus on LGBTI issues. And, um, you know, some of the companies that have expressed support for the standard that I, that I really like, like Google, or, um, you know, have, have actually taken steps which, which could be considered a violation of human rights. So as an example, in Indonesia, Google had to remove 74 applications from its Android market at the request of the government because those applications had LGBT content. And, you know, what can they do? I mean, frankly, in, a, in an environment in which uh, there is such an hysteria about LGBTI issues, it's very often about whether getting kicked out of the market or staying in the market and complying with, uh, you know, and I think it comes, you know, on, on LGBTI inclusion, a lot of the companies I talk to say, well, you know, I'm ready to make efforts in this market and in this market, but in the Emirates and in, or in Malaysia, you know, I feel very uncomfortable talking about, uh, about diversity and inclusion. So I will tell you that to me, a company that is doing well on LGBTI issues, a company that can respond to the question, what are you doing, with a list of all the activities that they are undertaking on a journey to respect the human rights of LGBTI people. And something that we need to talk about is that for a lot of companies, and you kind of alluded to it, for a lot of companies, it remains a little bit of posturing, meaning that when it's a pleasant market, where it's very much proven, that it affects positively your bottom line to be pro-LGBTI, they are very uh, vocal about their diversity and inclusion policy, and they act in the public sphere, they form the float at gay pride. But as soon as it's somewhat of a difficult market, including India or Singapore, they shut down everything. Uh, and, you know, something that I was discussing with you when I was in the, in the back was this idea that I would love to see the indexes that measure what companies are doing to start measuring also how they are acting in the public sphere, because I think um, that, that we have to be, you know, as much as we have to recognize the fact that the private sector has huge opportunities and is doing a great job, we also have to be wary of pinkwashing and doing the minimal to, uh, to affect your bottom line.
2: Dulcie, what does inclusion look like to you? So you spoke a lot about people accessing your services and for you that's inclusion. Does anything you want to add to that? What, is a, what, is, what does inclusion mean to you and to the people you serve and also to you as a business owner?
4: I think inclusion for me would, would mean even people who are not LGBTI do not now see this service as excluding them. Gotcha. You, you, you know what I mean? So um, bottom line you know, is still quite important. And maybe when we talk to companies about inclusion, we should be also talking about how it affects their bottom line not to be inclusive. You know? So I, I think that would make a big difference.
3: Okay, uh, inclusion for me is me going to work and not having to uh, hide that I was with my partner last night, we attended, or maybe we watched a movie or something along those lines, uh, for me to be free to, to talk about my life and, and not feel like there's someone who's suddenly uncomfortable uh, because of that. Um, Inclusion for me is if there is a, um, um, someone who is in Soweto somewhere and is asked to come for an interview at IBM, they don't have to think really hard about what they're going to wear and what they're going to look like when they go for that interview, uh, as opposed to focusing on the job role and their skills and what they can uh, do for that company. Um, so that's part of the inclusion for me and also um, uh, Companies um, um, and HR departments specifically um, creating that environment for, for employees to drive in. And if I go to an HR person and say, How many LGBTI employees do you have in your company? for that HR person to turn around and tell me exactly how many, how many are out, and how many are, are anonymous. But for them to have those numbers and have. Uh, structures in place to to support.
2: And not to turn around and say we don't have any LGBT people. here Yeah, that's right, uh, something we've often. Had. Uh, we
3: don't. <laughs> some go as far as we don't have that problem here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I've
2: heard that. Believe me, I've heard it. Cool. Okay. So just I want to close on I want to close on a high. I want to close on a call to action. So, what is the, the one thing that you think that um, businesses of any any size uh, should be doing to promote uh, inclusion?
3: I think for me, it's just for the companies to look uh, really look at themselves and their strategies and how they are um, implementing those strategies. Almost every website, company website that you go to, you check their values. Uh, it's trust, respect you know, commitment uh, to employees and suppliers, but how far are they willing to take that? Is there a boundary where they say, okay, no, you know, our trust ends here. If I'm an employee, can I trust them to to be out in the workplace and still be safe? Because it needs to cover everything, not just, you know, uh, it's, it's in the website, hey, everyone is happy. So they really need to leave those values that they put on their websites and all of them have them. So they really need to evaluate, reevaluate what, what they want to do going forward and what the strategies and policies they're going to um, 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 undertake to make sure that those values and those commitments that they, they say they do have, that they do, uh, they follow up uh, on them. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm,
5: I'm, looking for, uh, I'm looking for my first African company to express support for the standards. Uh, I wrote an email to uh, Dangote and all of his management team, and he didn't respond to me. Uh, I acknowledge that it was probably a bit hard for him to express support for those issues. But, you know, at some point, someone has to start. Mm. I mean, the truth is that you know, I, I love to, to talk about my father. My father was the CEO of a company, and uh, and he would, uh, it, it was a company in the soldering industry, and he would always tell me, "I don't have LGBT people. You know, soldering is macho, and we all work in fashion and hierarchy." So I would tell him, "I say, invite me for lunch, and I will tell you who is gay and who is not." And. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we have apps for that now uh, and he uh, he never invited me for lunch uh, (laughs)
2: and then now I retired so we will never know but I'm pretty sure he had gay people so you're sorry the one thing you can do is invite you for lunch yeah okay of course invite Fabrice to lunch everyone that's the one thing we can do Okay.
4: I think it's, it's also about being able to have those conversations in the workplace you know like for the workplace to feel like a safe space for people to be themselves, you know, for, like for business to also feel like it's a safe space, you know, for patrons, for people who work in, you know, they, they need to know that they can be themselves. You know, they, they do not need to, to, to try and be, and be something else. And, 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 and just for the LGBTI people to know that they, they, they will experience love and, and, and get value for money if, if, if they're supporting that business and their sexuality is not going to become an issue.
3: Cool. Just maybe last point from yes, me. Uh, I mean, companies don't realize how much power they have, um, even social, on a social level. Even though we're sitting and sitting, and you know, in you know, we're working. Um, I mean, I've had uh, parents, uh, uh, fellow uh, um, uh, colleagues, who who, are, who have kids, who are uh, again a, a part of the community, basically. Uh, who have brothers, uh people who have brothers, who have sisters. So just because there are people who are not a, a part of the community in the workplace doesn't mean that <coughs> nothing should be done. Because you, there's parents there also. There's, you know, uh, p- parents don't know what to do. They can see that the child is different, but they don't know how to handle it. So those things, if we address them in the workplace, they can attend you know, those sessions and they can get information from them. And they, they are able to help their, their kids or you know, their brothers or siblings or whoever they, that they have in the family that, that is part of the community. So companies have a really big power. I mean, my story, I came out at work before I even came out at home. And I felt safer at work than I did at home. Uh, Everyone knew, but no one spoke about it, you know, so we never discussed it until I discussed it at work. Then I I was able to go home and be able to face it head on at home. So that's the power that the companies have, that they
2: can change lives. Well, I'm not even going to compete with that ending comment. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much to my panelists. Thank you, thank you so much for closing on that. It was really, really special. Um, so I actually generally don't know what's happening next. Lunch, I definitely know it's happening. Cause I can smell it. Uh, and there's a lot of people looking at me, like, I don't know. <laughs> cool. So I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to like dismiss the audience. Say <laughs> that's the word. And we'll
1: <laughs> see. Oh, do we want to? Yeah, you, you have
2: seven minutes. We have seven. Seven, seven minutes. Okay, right. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Um, let's, let's, let's keep it slick. Um, and then we can... Cool, go ahead. So, yeah, please go. I just wanted to say that you've really touched on the
4: issue of the issue, I think that the, we actually, the, the Human Rights Commission had a symposium on business and human rights, um, and we are updating the country guide. And I would just advise everybody to look at the, the business and human rights country guide, which is on our website, because it specifically identifies um, sexual orientation as you know, an area that needs to be addressed within business when you're looking specifically at human rights. And I think that that's the, the point, is that these are fundamental, inalienable, global human rights and as it is the 70th anniversary of the declaration, it would be an opportune time for you to lean on the South African government and say, well, yeah, what have you done? Or to, to, to raise that issue. It's a great time for us to advocate on human rights and, and, and the issues that we are, we are discussing here on the 10th of December. So if you want to discuss further, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about how we do that going forward. Right.
2: Gentlemen here with uh, us. Can I just say one quick thing? I coincidentally came across a website last night called biasinterruptors.com and they've got a lot of toolkits there on, on interviewing people
6: and advertising for jobs, mm-hmm. retention mm-hmm. and I thought some of the ideas were really clever about not to put emphasis on where you dress and all sorts of biasinterruptors.com you'll find that useful, there are lots of free toolkits oh.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's... <laughs>
5: You know, something that really strikes me when when I talk to business is that very often when I talk to business that are not a global business, that have no choice but to position themselves on LGBTI issues, you know, I had a discussion recently with Kempinski, with the Hotel channel uh, and basically what he, what he was telling me, I'm kind of paraphrasing, is that, now that there is marriage equality in, 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 in many countries, what are you complaining about? If you want to get to the top of the company, just work hard like everybody else, right? And, and to me, that's the definition of privilege, is that if you have not experienced discrimination, if you, have not, if you are not a black mother in the United States or if you are not you know, a woman in the, in the private sector, you really believe that discrimination does not exist. And so we also have to make that job of highlighting this bias, even though even class bias, right, the way you express yourself and the way you're dressed, that gets in the way of equal opportunity. Uh, but but something that, that I always have to go back to is that the decision makers are not are very often have not experienced discrimination and therefore they believe that discrimination
6: does not exist. Sorry, I just want to add something, and I think we, we, we go back, again, just to, like, human rights the whole time. And for me, that's more, of, again, it's a, or the law is a compliance thing, but I think being ethical as a company is, has a broader, way broader meaning to it, and being an ethical professional, because um, a lot of us work in professional environments where we have professional designations that we love to put behind our names because it increases our salary, but what does that really mean? Does it mean that if I want to be a professional CA, Chartered Accountant, how can I discriminate against a colleague who doesn't have the same view as me in terms of sexuality or gender identity? So I think as a business, leadership should start asking themselves the question as to what is our ethical standards? What is our core values? And, and if our core values are to respect difference and, 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 and um, I don't want to say force, but, but almost, almost ignite diversity. How can we step away from this discussion? And how can we step away from, from retracting stuff because it is not legal? How, why don't we send out all our communication to Africa? That's the, the question we had earlier. Because if that's part of our core values. Aren't we? You cannot be half ethical, can you? <laughs> you cannot. It's you're either ethical, or you're not. So, 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 where do we draw that line?
2: I think to, add to that, it takes a few trailblazers to really stick their neck above the parapet to show, and for organisations like this, and many of the organisations represented here, to actually highlight that and draw the spotlight to those people who are doing it, to say, you know what, add some transparency to say, these people are trailblazers. These are people are doing it. There is now no excuse it takes a little bit of guts uh, to, for, the, for companies to do that. And I think the whole thing around, are you ethical or are you not, uh, is really important and sticks away with these people. Yeah. I've got two here. I'm kind of holding all the microphones. Sorry. Give <laughs> more mics, everyone. I need
6: another
2: one. <laughs> He's taking all the mics
5: Amazing.
2: You know, I, when,
5: I, uh, when I was writing the standards, I did a consultation in Uganda. And there were a few activities that showed up from uh, East Africa. But there was not one single, There was one business uh, that showed up, which, you know. And I had tried really hard to write to, uh, to companies abroad, saying, you know, could you weigh on your general manager? So he shows up. And nobody showed up. And, you know, what I thought, it, it was, it's not only that they find it's a controversial topic, it's that they find it completely irrelevant to the Ugandan context. They believe that this is a bullshit Anglo-Saxon issue that is being pushed by a bunch of, you know, wishy-washy Americans, uh, you know what I mean? And until you fight that, until you you show that this is relevant to Uganda, and that there is indeed the same prevalence of uh, same-sex attraction and the same prevalence of non-conforming gender identity, And that therefore, you know, even Ugandan businessmen that think, you know, I'm here to make money, why are they annoying me, have to start positioning themselves on this issue. And that's very hard, because, you know, even in France, I talk to businessmen that think that this is a bullshit Anglo-Saxon issue, we're pushing
2: I don't know if anyone saw a recent tweet that went viral around the recent passing legislation in India. Um, uh, and it should be very ironic that I should be saying this, actually. Um, but he talks about um, the criticism of um, the, the passing of uh, removal of legislation, which uh, passed last week, in, um, and, and anti-state-sex uh, relations, and the criticism that it was a westernization, of India and he actually pointed out that it wasn't those laws which were in place before colonization this was actually the decolonization of India Um, and there's some really interesting literature um, on saying um, on kind of perceptions of sexuality and uh, gender fluidity within African uh, communities and cultures uh, prior to uh, pre-colonial period. I think it's really interesting to, to have those facts and figures behind us before people start saying things like that. Um, this is actually a decolonization of the laws um, of these countries, um, and actually I think we need to be embracing that narrative. Very ironic, I should be saying that.
1: All right, thanks guys, appreciate That's it. Cool. Thank
4: you.
0: This is Gay SA Radio's coverage of the South African LGBTI Business Summit.